This morning our our text is the same text that we uh, had two weeks ago as I um, decided to to divide that into two different messages. Um, So we'll we'll consider as well uh, today um, Romans 15 verse 14. Uh, just just this one verse, although we'll be looking at several other passages to help unfold it, but uh, where, where Paul says, um, I uh, myself am satisfied about you, uh, I am confident about you, I am convinced about you, um, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are two things, full of goodness, full of goodness, and filled with all knowledge, and able, therefore, to instruct to admonish one another. I am confident that that you have the necessary knowledge and goodness to be effective in caring for other people, speaking words of goodness and truth. This is our text for this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, fill us. Enlighten our eyes and... and, um, renew our minds uh, to hear. You have been discouraged at times, uh, and sometimes when you are discouraged, you uh, go to a friend, um, and, uh, and that friend is very helpful to you. Uh, perhaps you have done something of which you are ashamed. Perhaps something has been done to you uh, that affects you adversely, and you Look for that wise friend. You go to that friend, and she takes the time, first of all, to listen and to not rush you through things, to understand. And then when she does speak to you and speaks to you of Jesus, uh, he is personal. He is nearby as she ministers from her heart as Jesus has comforted her, she's able to comfort you. And you have sensed her generosity. She's actually listened and given you a taste of Jesus. That's goodness. And you saw Jesus, not just a formula, trust and obey, and everything will be fine. You tasted Jesus his tender mercy, and that's knowledge. I suspect you have also at other times talked to people um, who rather quickly, after you tell something of your story, tell something of their own. Your comments are a trigger for them to be able to tell you what they think about their own experiences And they sometimes even look like they're trying to outdo your pain. (laughs) Oh yeah, I've got something bigger. And they may seek to emotionally connect with you, thinking that that alone is helpful, and yet Jesus may never enter the conversation. We have these different experiences But God entrusts the people around you, listen to this, God entrusts the people around you to you. You are privileged to be mutual encouragers. 
you are privileged to be called and equipped to really and truly help each other. And that is a great and wonderful part of being in the Church of Jesus Christ. Well, my theme this morning uh, is that uh, you would use um, what you have in Christ to be effective mutual encouragers. That you would use what you have in Christ, the goodness and the knowledge that he's given to you, you would use that uh, to be effective, mutual, and encouragers. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the first two points just very, very quickly here. What is mutual ministry? That is, what is what one writer said, mutual counseling or mutual admonishing? And the church, or the, the health of the church absolutely depends on people speaking the truth in love. The church grows up, Ephesians 4. Uh, so it is that mutual ministry of, of counseling and admonishment one to and encouraging one to another. Well, who does mutual ministry? Um, everyone in the church does it, uh, not just the pastor, uh, but everyone is, is being equipped by the Spirit and they receive that goodness and knowledge that enables them to do that. And so today, why? Why is this even necessary? Why do people need mutual ministry? And very simply, you can't do the Christian life on your own. It's not a solo journey. And it's not even something that you can do just within the confines of your own family, as much as that seems to be the way it often goes during such a time as this. COVID COVID is not the new normal. The Church of Jesus Christ counseling one another, encouraging each other, is the constant normal. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews is very emphatic about this. Um, Hebrews warns us that our hearts... Hebrews has, uh, more than perhaps any book in the New Testament, conveys the teaching that even though you are a member of the church, even though you are part of the community of God's people, you must tend your heart. You must be aware of the heart, of the fact that your heart can harden and you can, you can turn your back on the Lord Jesus. That does not negate the doctrine of election. He is speaking to the church as it is gathered. And he says, every one of you must be careful to tend your hearts. But God, God blesses us with the reality that that's not something that we do on our own. Still, the warning is there. Our hearts can harden, they can grow cold, and they can calcify. And he warns uh, the church against being like the Israelites for the very reason that we can be. Many fell in the wilderness, did not reach the promised land. And so you, this is what you are to do. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews uh, 3, 12 and 13. Um, listen again to this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in, you, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. That's a real Caution! What do you do about it? Exhort one another every six months or so. No, <laughs> exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I want to I want to get get a picture of this for us here. Um, I, I want you to think for just a moment about, about a besetting sin that you have. A sin that, that emerges 
that is an example of that flesh that we spoke about in the con- in the confession of faith that God forgives even the sins of our of our uh, nature. Um, what is the besetting sin in your nature? Maybe it has to do with your tongue, the way that you have spoken harshly to others. It could be something about your self indulgence. You you indulge when you are tired, when you are hungry, or just any any time at all. Perhaps it's anger. Perhaps it's lustful thoughts. What I want you to do is think about that besetting sin and then think about it going to seed unchecked. Think about it if you were not to control it by the Spirit of God, where you'd be. Think about your besetting sin. Imagine it unchecked years from now. The deceitfulness of your sin can harden your heart so that it is like concrete. You need help. Everyone needs help. Don't be like Israel. The writer of Hebrews says, we too can be prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So, um, people need you. People need you. Um, So, they need you, first of all, to be a good listener. They need you to listen. Um, You know, sometimes sometimes when we're talking with someone, we we can do this ourselves, or we've sensed, probably more often, we sense other people doing it to us, but, but we listen long enough just to think we know what the person is saying, and then we'll like, we'll like finish sentences. Have you, ever, have you ever been involved with someone who listens long enough to finish your sentences? And after they've finished your sentences, you look at them and you say, well, that's not actually what I was going to say. But we... It's easy for us to do. We answer, um, when someone answers and talks to them, does it without even listening to us. We, we sometimes, our hearts can just kind of just say, this is not a good place for me to talk. This is not a good place for me to be honest. And we just sort of keep things on a very surface level. Uh, the the uh, admonition from James uh, always applies. Be quick to listen and uh, slow to speak and quick to listen. Slow to speak, quick to listen. And I encourage you, I encourage you as you seek to put this into practice, is develop the pattern, the practice of answering, of asking good questions of a person that you're speaking with. Would you tell me more? It seems like what you're saying has been very hurtful to you. Are you willing to share more of that? You watch for emotional. Uh, you watch for emotional cues, like when you're talking to someone and they lean forward. I found myself doing this even in this COVID day, leaning too close to someone when I'm getting passionate about something in my heart. Watch for that. Watch for a change in voice, a change in, in intensity, as the way the way this person is speaking. So give, listen to the, look for those things, and tend, ask questions, and tend their heart. Paul, Paul Tripp says, says that I am deeply persuaded. This is after years of serving people in the church of Jesus Christ. I am deeply persuaded that the foundation for people transforming ministry is not sound theology. It is love. Without our uh, love, theology is a boat 
without oars. It is a good boat. It is a beautiful boat. It is a necessary boat. It glorifies God. But it's a boat without oars if it is not conveyed in love. And that love starts with really being able to listen to one another. It starts with the goodness of patience and listening. So you need it. You need mutual ministry, and I do too. I can look back on my life at people who have spoken wisely and well into my life, and it has been life-changing. I hope that's true for all of us. Well then, finally, um, and a little bit longer, how do you do mutual ministry? How do you do mutual ministry? You first of all learn to uh, speak with discretion. Um, How many times have you been in a conversation with someone, a good friend, someone perhaps in your family, you're in a conversation again uh, that feels, has a very familiar feel to it. Um, you're, You're going down the same path, you're getting the same responses, you have the same snappy snappy uh, attitude and you're getting nowhere at all. Have you been in conversations like that? Predictably poor outcome conversations. Has anyone been in a situation like that? Anyone? I see a couple of heads. Okay. Yeah, I've been in one or two also. Well, a lumberjack um, was, was chopping away at a tree um, and he was spending all day doing it And towards the end of the day, there was barely a dent in that huge tree. He wasn't getting anywhere and felling that tree. Uh, Another lumberjack uh, brought the tree down after just a few dozen or so blows, cuts, a sharp axe. A sharp axe uh, is discretion. And a dull axe which we often use with one another, is the opposite of that. Well, remember, remember what Ephesians uh, 4.29 uh, says. Ephesians 4.29 is a great passage. Uh, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only, um, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That is, that is language that has discretion. You are speaking with discretion so that you're able to help another person. So I just want you very, very consider three things out of this verse. First thing, first thing, uh, you consider the other person. Consider, slow down and consider the other person because you are to speak only what is helpful for building others up. So often in a close conversation. Maybe it's about something that is getting too close to home. And our words can often be about us. We can respond with anger. We can respond with irritation. Or we simply don't want to be bothered by what this person is saying because it may cost us something. And so our words are are oftentimes reflective of what's going on in us and they are not considering the other person. And you may not even think about a goal for why you talk to people. The goal is to help them. 
and to build them up. The, the second thing is, is consider the problem they are having because you want to speak to them according to their needs. And that's why you're asking those questions. What are they going through right now? I, I can remember on a number of occasions sitting down to someone and speaking too quickly about what was on my mind without thinking, first of all, what they had been through recently. A very difficult experience. A suffering in their home. Something done that they've done or that has, was done to them. And way too quickly, I'm working on my agenda and not tending their heart. So what are you going through right now? How, how are you suffering? These are th- thoughts that are going on in your mind. And, and, then, and then you're looking for how they are responding. Are they going after God? Are they pursuing God? Or are they hardening themselves against God? You're considering the person, the goal of building up. You're considering their problem to speak according to their needs. And finally, you're thinking of the best way to say it that it may give grace. You want, to, you want to speak in such a way that it gives grace to those who hear. Remember, a blunt axe makes things worse, right? Do, can, we, can we agree that? A blunt axe doesn't help. It bludgeons people. It does not help people. A necessary correction can come across as an angry accusation. Oftentimes we need to put our own emotions on hold. Say, this is not about me. This is not about me. It's about how I can care for you. And then you can speak calmly and with grace. Well, uh, so we consider the other person we, for the goal of their, their uh, building up. Uh, we consider the problem that they are having And we consider, finally, the best way to tend to them and to care for them. And I want to put it into practice by by looking at a verse that we have have preached through this before, but it's, it's so useful to come back to, in fact, to have it fresh in our minds really, really frequently. We want to put it into practice by looking at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 14. And, and, and this is, this is we, are, we are to seek to discern other people and speak to them accordingly. Discern. We have to be wise in the way we discern what is going on in the other person. And there are three kinds of people that are mentioned here. There are, there are lazy people, there are faint-hearted people, and there are weak people. And you react to them, you respond to them in different ways. So you've got to be attentive to who you're dealing with here. As God is. Psalm 18, dealing with people in multitudes of different ways. Well, if uh, we read the text, we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. So let's take a look. How How do you deal with the idle person? How do you deal with the lazy person? Well, you admonish that person. Uh, Jesus was, uh, was, the thought was in Thessalon, in, in the church, as this letter was being written to the church in Thessalonica, is that Jesus was going to be coming back any moment. Now, how would you act if Jesus were going to be coming back any moment? I don't know about you. Luther said he'd plant a tree. I, you know, that's just his, 
priesthood of all believers thing and subduing the earth thing. But, but, but these people, quit. Their, many of them quit their jobs. Folded up their computer, said, I'm done. And then just hung out with each other and became unruly and disruptive. And, and so, okay, how do you deal with that in the church? The, I, I pray for our deacons. It's a difficult thing, but that they, they, they are called to be generous. Um, initial response to people who come asking for is to be generous, but then also your love must have also have teeth to it. And your, while your first impulse is generosity, you must also hold people accountable to life-changing patterns so that they can actually change. That's a difficult thing, but it does include admonishment. Parents, um, your kids can be lazy, can they not? Sometimes our words can simply bounce off them and, and they are, they don't, they just don't do what we require them to do. And we can, we tend to respond negatively to that. Uh, and, and listen to the harm that our words can, can, can bring about. I can't believe it. You're just sitting there when I told you to set the table. I can't believe it. You, you are defining that child by their sin. You are saying that is, that is their deepest reality. That they are lazy slobs. Okay, that's what's going through our minds. Or we say something like this, you are driving me crazy because you're so lazy. But it's not about your feelings and your response. That's not what's the most important thing on the table. You are concerned for their hearts. You do correct the behavior, but you do not define them by their sin. And you respond to them with the same mercy that you have received from God. Checking with Gail on this, you know, she helps me on some of these things, but she told me this morning, in dealing with a dealing with a, a lazy or an unmotivated child, probably the best thing that now we're thinking of positive things to do here, the best thing you can do is is check out medically if there's anything going wrong. If there's a thyroid problem or some other chemical imbalance that is affecting their 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 level of energy, so you want to you want to out you want to rule out that kind of thing, and then it's also important as you're admonishing a child is to remind them, to tell them, to inform them that that your job as parent is to prepare them for the real world, and so you have to take responsibility for yourself. God has called you to this, you admonish them. You can, you can, and you must. Or you must, and you can. And so you encourage that child in that context. Develop a little bit more the second two, though, and see how they're related to each other as, as, we, as we think about if your friend is, is, um, is, is faint-hearted, your job is to encourage her. If your friend is weak, your job is to is to help him. You encourage the faint-hearted. You help the weak. Well, let's look at them. Uh, look at them in, in, in order here. The, the faint-hearted person um, is is how do you how do you describe this? How do you define a, a, a faint-hearted person? Um, she is discouraged. She's down, usually down on herself. And she is self-absorbed, usually, and it's usually with her own failures. That's what she's seeing. 
And as she thinks about herself, okay, I'm, we're, we're trying to help the faint-hearted. We've got to be able to identify her. It's not just she's thinking. It's not just that she fails. It's that she's a failure. Do you hear the difference? She is a failure. And she is cloaked, therefore, with shame. She has given up on herself. She is certain that God has given up on her. She doesn't like herself, and she's certain that God doesn't like her either. No wonder she is faint-hearted. Hear me well, my dear friends. You do not reprimand the (laughs) faint-hearted. You do not say, you shouldn't feel that way. I like you. You do not shame the faint-hearted. Well, it's in put in proximity to the one who is weak. Um, the one who is weak needs you. Is there a connection between these two? I, I, I think there might be. And, and that is that the, faint heart, the faint-hearted um, person will be eventually um, will be practicing her weakness out. What, do I, what, am, what am I trying to say here? Faint-heartedness leads to weakness. Faint-heartedness leads to weak and poor responses that become habitual. And that is your weakness. You've developed habits out of your faint-heartedness that are not helpful to you and are not glorifying to God. Just think, for example, of the command, you're to be joyful in all things, even in suffering. There is probably no higher command than that, is to praise God all the time, even in your suffering. Now, a, a faint-hearted person will give in to fear. A faint-hearted person will see a, a, a glass that is half empty and never half full. And, and that faint-hearted person will begin to question or will question God's goodness. And that will create, then, a negative outlook. And that will create habitual responses. And you're building a case against God... And that leads to a passivity. Why bother? And weak behavior. Faint-heartedness can lead to behavior patterns that flow out of a weakness and create that weakness of character. All right, what do we do with that? What do we do with those situations? The reason I'm lumping them together, because I think they need, in in many cases, the same medicine. What's going on here? We need, as we are to be people helpers, all right, for the next few minutes, I'm going to be addressing you in your troubles as I think of me and mine. But I'm also thinking about how you, in your troubles and in your receiving God's mercy, give it away to other people, even as I seek to do. So keep those two things in mind. I'm talking to you for your help to help you to be more helpful to others. So assume that the person you're talking to is telling lies about Jesus to herself and believing them. That's an assumption for the faint-hearted person and the person then who has become weak in character. Believe, assume that they are telling themselves lies about Jesus and they are believing those lies. 
They are convinced that God's mercy is running low. That the wells of salvation are running dry, at least in my case. They have drawn on the account of God's goodness and mercy so often that their account is diminishing. It's getting smaller. It's getting, it's getting lower because God has expended so much. You remember last week, my, our dear brother Alan uh, made a comment something like this, that your burden is what qualifies you to come to Jesus. Amen? It is your burden that qualifies you to come to Jesus. Come to me, Jesus said, with your burden and our gentle Savior will give you rest. Well, let's extend that a little bit. It is your weakness that qualifies you to draw on God's mercy. It is your weakness that qualifies you. And this is even more daring. It is your failure that qualifies you to plead for mercy. does not disqualify you, it qualifies you. Jesus' heart he is always more ready to respond to you than you are to ask Him. He is always more ready to give than we are to pray. Jesus is closer to you today than He was to the sinners and the sufferers that He touched while He was living on this earth. Closer to you than to them because of the Spirit in you. These thoughts we draw from Ephesians chapter 2, which says that God, being rich in mercy, God being rich in mercy, He is not poor in mercy. He is rich in mercy. Nowhere in the Bible uh, is it said that God is called rich. God is described as rich in any other category. It is just here. He is rich, and He is rich in mercy. That is, He doesn't give you mercy just for a little while, and if you perform well enough, well, then he'll pat you on the back and send you on your way. He doesn't give mercy just for a while and then run out of patience. Being rich in mercy. This is what one Puritan writer said, being rich in mercy. He is the spring of all mercy. It is natural to him. It is his nature and disposition when he shows mercy He does it with his whole heart. How different from what we naturally think of God. One of the lies that people believe about Jesus and then tell themselves is that God isn't that merciful. And so you address your own soul. You address the souls of other people 
reminding yourself and others that he isn't miserly when doling out mercy. He multiplies mercy. He gives mercy matched to your every need. There is nothing that he would rather do than give you mercy. He is rich with it. He is a billionaire in the currency of mercy. This is a, a, a sentence from, from uh, Dane Ortland. He is a billionaire in the currency of, of mercy. The withdrawals we make as we sin our ways through life cause his fortune to grow, not to diminish. And so one of the other things that we want to do is to help and do this ourselves, to help the faint-hearted um, uh, we, we, we want, and the weak to shift their gaze from their own experiences, okay? To, we want to help the, the faint-hearted and the weak to turn away from their, their own experiences. They may very well have been mistreated. They probably have been. They have certainly been misunderstood. We know what that feels like. They have been betrayed by, by people who they, they felt could, they could trust. They have been perhaps abandoned. They have been very possibly abused. And they carry pain. And they carry the memory of that. They carry a memory that they believe will never heal and they'll never be free from. And as they look at their own lives, they can say the evidence of Christ's Mercy may not show up in my life. But it does in his. He was mistreated. He was abandoned. Certainly betrayed. Abandoned even by his father. All for you. And in your place. The things, the things about which you shudder the most as you reflect on your own life, things that you have done or things that have been done to you, the things that make you shudder and gasp in horror as you think about your own pilgrimage in this, in this sin-sick world. There, right there, is where you can experience the loving heart of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our loving Father and Holy Spirit indwelling us, Lord, we cry out for your mercy in our own need. And we pray for clarity as we understand our own hearts and seek to understand the hearts of others that we may be those who bring genuine encouragement, Christ encouragement to one another. Lord, may we, may we um, luxuriate in your mercy this day. Uh, may, we, uh, may, we, may we bathe in it and have our hearts uh, set free to love you and to love others. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.